I'm Jason Thomas. Welcome to the Hardway MBA, where we empower ambitious corporate professionals. That's you, right? With real-world business knowledge. We interview business leaders who are gracious enough to share their strategic insights and tactical activities to improve your business and career. If you enjoy these interviews, please spread the word because nothing says thank you as well as a referral to your friends and colleagues. Now let's dive in. Welcome, welcome, folks. Jason Thomas here with the Hardway MBA. Super excited about the guest we have again today, uh, Scott Ginsberg. Uh, Scott's known as the name tag guy. Um, I'm going to share with you guys a, a quick story at the end of this about how I how I came to know Scott and kind of the email I sent to him inviting him to uh, to interview with us today. Scott, will you uh, tell us a little bit about yourself and what you're up to now and we'll kind of dive into a, a handful of questions here. Sure thing. Uh, thanks for having me. Well, let's see. I've been wearing a name tag 24-7 for the past 4,993 days. So I'm crawling my way to 5,000. It's very exciting. It's uh, 14 we or could've so waited a, We could have waited a week. I know. I know. You would have had a very – you would have had the, uh, the exclusive premium yeah. interview, which uh, I'm not going to do on that day. But anyway, uh, I started the whole name tag experiment um, as just that. It was an experiment to meet girls, and it failed. But what it did do was make some friends, and it became a sort of moment of conception in my creative world because – I saw that wearing a name tag was effective in making friends and opening up communication lines and, uh, you know, connecting with new people. So I decided to wear it indefinitely. Uh, I had no intention of spending the next 14 years building a brand and a business and a career out of that idea. But sure enough, that's what happened. So uh, since then, I've done a number of things. I'm an author. I'm a speaker. I'm a strategist. Uh, I'm a publisher. I'm a songwriter. I'm a world record holder of wearing name tags. I've, I've done a number of different um, media, if you will, um, because I'm a writer at heart. That's sort of the core of everything. But writing has led to all these other different avenues and, and sort of um, you know endeavors that I've worked on. And I've built a business in that time and I had a lot of fun and learned a lot and screwed up a lot and, and wasted a lot of money and made a lot of money. So it's been a really exciting adventure and I'm kind of pumped up to see what happens next. Very cool. Well, one of the things that's always interested me about you is I, you write prolifically. I've not, I've not seen anybody produce as much writing and then give it away for the most part. Uh-huh. Um, what's the strategy there? I mean, share, uh-huh. share a little bit about the strategy and are you, you're still doing it. So I assume it's meeting the, the end goals. Yeah. So I guess there's two things to talk about. One is prolificacy and the other is generosity. And I think those two things are hand in hand. Um, You know, prolific is the word that people have always used to describe me. I mean, even before I was wearing a name tag, I started uh, writing music when I was about 12 and, um, you know, have put out tons of records on my own label over the years. And so I've always been a writer and writing has taken a lot of different forms in my life and, you know, more so now as a professional. So what I've learned, however, is that I I have an approach to creativity and writing and execution and, you know, production um, that's very unique and it's a combination of left and right brain thinking. So, you know, the answer to the question of what the strategy is, um, 
if I had to sum it up in one word, well, I'll say two words, volume and consistency. That's sort of my short answer is that I write a ton and I write every day. Um, but these, the longer answer to that question is I have a system. Um, I have a framework for prolificacy, and it's something I've actually been working on for about six months now is sort of reverse engineering the past you know, 20 years of my life from a creative standpoint, figuring out wh- how does creativity work and how do we become prolific and what stops us from becoming prolific. And um, I'm putting together a system right now called the prolific framework. You can Google it. It's all over the place. I give it away for free. And uh, I'm just trying to sort of collect my process to help other people do the same. So that's the first question about being prolific. Um, the second part is about generosity. And well, I guess it's my nature. I I come from a very generous family, so I was always taught to be generous, so it's it's in my nature and I have discovered that generosity pays off and I have been able to make a living and to make a life and to make a career over all these years because I give everything away. I don't care. I am not uh, precious about you know, whether or not people pay for the work. I will get paid eventually. Um my wiring is such that I would rather be heard than paid. So I give everything away because I know it will make me heard and eventually it does make me paid. That's not a great business model and I don't suggest everyone follows it because it's pretty uh, precarious. But yeah, um, I write a lot and I give it all away and it seems to work. So I help connect that. So this uh, this podcast is really focused on folks that are that are in business that are what you might look at and call uh, call hustlers in the the best sense of the word, not the used car sales right. sense of the word, but people that are looking for that volume and consistency. And I think one of the questions they're going to have, and I have, is so you do, you create volume, you do it consistently, uh, you give it away. How do you maintain the faith, and on some level, that it's going to come back? That's a really good question, and I think it's very difficult. Um, I, I would say that the the trust in the process and the faith, however you'd like to describe it, mm-hmm. part, part of it comes from experience, just having done this for so long. Um, but the other part, it's just – it's just the mental and existential work that you have to do that, that I've done for so long because, yeah, I mean it's – I forget which famous writer said the following quotation, so forgive me, but he, he talked about publishing is like dropping a rose petal down a canyon and waiting for the echo. I forget who said it, but you can Google it. And that's exactly what it is. Um, it requires like massive amounts of faith and trust and patience and delayed gratification. And I'm really lucky that I have a lot of experience at that. Um, delayed gratification is my thing. I'm really good at it. And trusting of yourself and having faith in your own abilities, like I've kind of had no choice because – I hired myself the day I graduated from college. I've always worked for myself. Um, I, I've had stints where I've worked for other people, but you know, for the most part, it's been me. And I guess I just have a lot of experience. And you know, hustlers, if you will, that are hustling in whatever way they do right now. I, th- I think the challenge is that there's a whole generation of people that don't understand delayed gratification mm-hmm. and have not learned it and didn't have to learn it, and um, it is not a value to them. And it is to me. So um, there's nothing I can do that will teach people delayed gratification. All I can say is that it is the secret and it is 
the only way to do it without going crazy because it will take a long, long time before what you do catches on. So you better learn how to wait. Yeah, you. I'm sure you've heard of and probably seen videos of the experiments they did in the late 70s, early 80s with kids and delayed gratification. With the marshmallow? With the marshmallow, yeah, absolutely. And, you know, following those kids, and we've not talked about that uh, that on this podcast. I'm really glad you bring up delayed gratification. It's, well, it's a huge piece of being able, being able to, to hustle and grind and, and work your tail off. Yeah. Well, it's also like, you know, you can hustle while you wait. Like, yes. you know, the seven dwarfs whistle while they work. I hustle while I wait. And I think that's a really important balance where it's like, OK, uh, I am waiting on X. What can I do with Y and Z to make this waiting time non-existent? You know, I don't believe in waiting. I'm, I am by nature also a very impatient person. Mm-hmm. I mean, as much as I, I I'm patient and in delayed gratification, like I'm a mover, like I'm an initiator. So. I don't mind waiting for something because I know there's all these other things that I can do in the meanwhile. And so that's sort of the second piece of it. Like, yeah, um, wait, but hustle while you're doing it. And there are ways to do that. And it's a it is a mind shifter that I think works. Yeah, absolutely. So a minute ago, you mentioned, um, you know, most of your career, it looks like, has been uh, very entrepreneurial. And you've had a couple of stints of working for someone else. Uh, what's that like for you? I, I, in my mind, my listeners are, and the, the listeners that I've talked to right now, they do work for somebody else for the most part. What's the, yeah. what's it been like for you with the entrepreneurial spirit you obviously have to step into a more corporate kind of role? You know, I was just thinking about this this morning. It's really hard to be passionate about somebody else's business. Uh-huh. Isn't that messed up? But it's it's so true. I mean, I've you know I've run my business for a long time now, and I've worked with hundreds of vendors and freelancers, designers, photographers, web designers. I mean, you know, I've commissioned tons of people to outsource the work that I can't do. And it literally occurred to me this morning. It's just the timing is interesting. I'm like, wow. I, I've worked for other people now, and I'm like, I know what it's like to sit across the table from someone who's like why aren't you more excited about this? And I'm like, "Eh, it's not my baby. And and now I know, wow, there's all these people over the years that I've worked with that I wish that were more excited. And and I was frustrated that they weren't more excited. And now I get it. So I think that's like an inherent flaw in working for someone else, no matter how you spin it. Mm -hmm. Um, it's, It's not your baby. It's not your business. It's not your passion. So it's like, there's a finite amount of, uh, of passion you can bring to that. So assuming someday you decide to hire employees, maybe this is on the roadmap, maybe this isn't, you have to take that into account, right? I mean, you've got to, you're now hiring people who don't have that same level of passion, who have a very finite capacity for passion in your business. How do you deal with that? What do you do? I will never hire employees as long as I live. That's one answer. (laughs) So uh, not my problem. I don't care. I won't have to deal with it. Mr. Miyagi said the best way to block a punch is to not be there, and I won't be there. So when you were sitting across the table from that business owner who you were working for and you realized, I've got this limited capacity to to really get on board your ship, how do you keep working with them 
and acknowledge that? How do you balance those two things? Well, I mean, part of it is you just have to suck it up and fake it and, and do your best to to be as passionate as you can. And if it means feigning interest, then that's part of the deal. Then you have to do that. Um, and I guess the other part is, you know, how can I take something I am passionate about and insert it in as a placeholder? You know, I'm a writer. I get passionate about writing and researching and organizing materials. So if I'm not passionate about X project or X uh, brand, at least I can be excited about the, the process. Um, of what it leads to. So that that's to me, the best placeholder you can do is just substitute the passion. Yeah. So I keep picking at this point. I think it's because I admire the entrepreneurial, uh, I admire entrepreneurs. Um, I am not in a place that I'm starting my own business. I think a lot of my peers out there who are working their tails off and trying to get better every day, uh, are maybe a little more risk averse, maybe in a position in life where it doesn't make sense for them to take those kind of risks. And I think we're looking for how do we express that same passion that we're a little bit envious of in entrepreneurs that are running their own show and uh, and maintain a little bit of the safety that we have in our, our corporate gigs. Um, any insights you'd share there? I think it's possible to have one foot in each of those ponds. I think it's been done and I've done it personally. Like I, I've done, I've done the whole like part-time job and, and do my business full-time. I've done uh -huh. the full-time only. I've done the full-time job and full-time other jobs. So I, I think there's a lot of different formulas and they all work and it kind of depends on your life situation. So yeah, you know, it's, it's just a matter of figuring out what your needs are and, and what will be enough for you. You know, it's, it's a very existential concept because if you work for someone else or if you have this other gig or whatever you're doing and, and meanwhile you have this, um, this nagging, you know, existential outlet that you are not fulfilling, you have to figure out what you can do so you will be satisfied and fulfilled enough. There's a really great book about this called brainstorm and it's by Eric Maisel and it's not brainstorm like you brainstorm in a meeting it's brainstorm which is a term that he created and it's about productive obsessions and it talks about <clears throat> excuse me talks about uh, creating a plan to have productive obsessions in your life outside of your primary meaning container and what you do is you set it up where okay I'm working from nine to five at the bank that means from six to eight a.m. I'm doing this and maybe after the kids go to bed I can do this or my lunch hour I'll go in, in the you know the stairwell and I'll draw cartoons or, or, or whatever it's mm -hmm. it's just a matter of, of squeezing it in and, and committing to it and doing it in a way that that is enough for you yeah and in a lot of ways, you know, Hardway MBA is is exactly that to me. It's it's the fringe. It's uh -huh. what I do on the uh, yeah. you know, on the edge of my day, um, and and that's why you know it's 8 a.m. on July 4th, and we're and we're talking now. Um, it's a holiday today. Oh damn! Well, for some people, it's a holiday. Well, that's um, the, that's the thing about working for yourself is like. Every day is a holiday, and yet holidays aren't really holidays. <laughs> exactly, yeah. So reading through your blog over the last uh, couple of days here, I'm seeing a theme around this moments of conception. Uh, yeah. I think it's an interesting, uh, an interesting theme. What's the moment of conception behind 
the moment of conceptions? <laughs> That's a great question. It's very meta. <laughs> yeah, um, it's actually it's Topher Grace from that '70s show. Uh-huh. Um, he did something really cool uh, maybe a year or two ago. He mm-hmm. took all three of the Star Wars prequels and cut them into one like actually good movie. Did you hear about that? No, I haven't. It's really cool. It's called Return of the Sith, I believe. Yeah, I mean, we all know the Star Wars prequels individually kind of suck, but all together, like it was, it was good, and there were some good moments. And he basically just, you know, just took it upon himself to make something that was interesting and meaningful to him. And he didn't get paid, and and uh, I think George Lucas saw it and liked it. But it was just sort of a a project that he incorporated something that was interesting to him. And you know, what I wanted to do with the moments of conception after hearing the story about Topher Grace is I thought, God, you know, I love movies so much and I have such an incredible memory. And there are so many movies out there with these scenes. It's like one scene in the movie, like two minutes long. And it's like the key scene in the movie. It's like, it's the scene that either people always talk about, or it's a scene that no one remembers, but I remember because Mm -hmm. it's a, it's a moment of conception. It's like, like, Coyote Ugly is a terrible abomination of a movie. It's like, it's horrible. It's a chick flick in disguise. But there's an awesome scene on the rooftop where this woman is trying to write a song and she hears another song across the street and like literally samples it live in her head and takes that and makes it into her own song. And then you hear Leanne Rhymes singing the song, you know, later. It's like, it's a moment of conception and I'm a songwriter. I know how that goes. I've done that a million times and it works and that's exactly how it looks. And so Coyote Ugly, I think was the first one I did as an experiment. I found the clip of that part of the movie and then I just kind of dissected the scene and like, what did she do right? Why did this happen? What happens in the brain when we see these moments of inspiration? And I really liked the way I felt when I did it. And you know, this whole prolific framework that I've been working on, this moment of conception was like a, a companion piece. It was like applied knowledge. It's like a, a master class in creativity. And so what I've been doing is creating a catalog of all these scenes from movies, like today's post was Shawshank Redemption, <clears throat> which is on a rooftop also, mm-hmm. interestingly. And I mean, I've done 75 of them already. I've published 40 of them, and it's just so fun and interesting. Wow. I don't, I don't know what I'm going to do with it. Like, it's, it's not a book because it's, it's video. It's, it's a different media. It, it would make a, it would make a good television show. So, who knows if I want to turn it into that? But for now, I'm just enjoying it and cranking it out and having fun. And that is the moment of conception behind the moment of conception. Awesome. Yeah. So- I'm going to ask you a question that's really driven around me, and, and I'm going to be a little bit selfish. I'm, I, I rarely do that, but uh-huh. uh, because of how much you write, mm-hmm. how much you put out into the world, um, I have I have looked at you and a couple other folks that kind of approach a similar level, and I, I wonder how in the world do you put something out once a day at least, at minimum, and I can't manage to put out something once a week. Um help help me <laughs> help help everybody who you look who you would say well you just gotta do it um well, yeah uh, how do okay. you just do it okay well I, when people say you you gotta you just gotta do it that is like equally profound and equally pointless yes because like nike told us to just do it like 30 years ago and, and if just doing it was enough we would have already done it right so that slogan is meaningless and it, it's 
it's powerful to say that to someone and it's very simple. And, you know, when you say to someone, oh, you just got to do it, they always do the same thing. They look down at their shoes and they sort of nod. They go, I know, you're right. And and then they never do it. So that's bullshit. Let's not waste our time on that. Yeah. Let me, let me, let me, instead of me telling you to just do it, I, I will ask you a more useful question. What okay. is your, what is your writing schedule? Ah, uh, now you have me. Um, it is supposed to be. No, no, that's not what exactly. I asked. Exactly. The actual when does it happen? That's the problem. What is your just what? Just tell me your writing schedule. I write sometimes in the mornings, uh-huh. and I uh, and that's it. I write sometimes in the mornings. Okay. It's usually when I actually get it done, six a.m. Yeah. ish. Great. Okay, so that's not a schedule. That's that's an uh-huh. ac- that's an accident. And, yep. and sometimes it's not a schedule. So there's the answer to your question. Next. Perfect. See, and that's one of the things that that's not a that's not a just do it. That's a plan it. Uh, you know, write it down, put it on your calendar, commit to doing it at six a.m. or whenever the time is. Yeah, I think the secret is beyond planning. I mean, obviously it takes planning, but planning is work. Planning is thinking. Planning is actually procrastination in disguise. So the the secret is kind of like exercise. Like I don't plan to exercise. Like. It is a non-negotiable daily activity. Like I know guaranteed I'm going to do yoga in three hours because I do it every single day and I never miss a day. I don't think about it. I don't plan it. And creativity, writing, producing, whatever the principal unit of creation is for an artist, you can't plan it. It, it. You just have to accept the fact this is what I do every day and you don't even think about it. Yeah. Build the routine and, yeah, and, yeah. and write it. Yeah. All right, man. Hey, one more question for you. I, I've told you this is about, you know, this podcast is about uh, people that are hustling, grinding out every day, trying to get their, their job done and, and improve. It's, it's really the, the platform is about a place to improve what you're doing every day, real-world business education. What business advice would you give those up-and-comers, the, the really driven professionals that, are, uh, that are, are the sponges of the world? You haven't seen them yet, but they're not going to go unnoticed for long. Okay. Um, I will share three different pieces of advice. Uh, the first thing is that quality is not as important as you think. You want to be good. You want to be talented. You want to be skilled. But there are so many other things contextually around that that are equally as important and can potentially make up for a lack in quality if it's not there. So sometimes if your quality is a B but your speed is an A, you still win. Mm-hmm. Sometimes if your quality is a C, but your uh, your context is an A, then you still win. Uh, if your quality is like a B plus, um, but the personality and the brand and the packaging is an A, like you still win. So I'm sure I could go on forever, um, mm-hmm. but I don't want to. So that's the first thing is like think about – Maybe quality is not the most important thing. Think about the other things that sort of buttress the quality that people are looking for. Because, I mean, let's let's not let's not lie to ourselves. Like the mainstream world, you know, expects and celebrates mediocrity. 
So you don't have to be the greatest in the world. You just have to be better than most of the average crap. Mm-hmm. Uh, and not that being amazing isn't important because it is. And I, su- I suggest doing what you're amazing at, but, but don't get hung up on quality as much as people say. Um, the second thing is this is something I, I've been working on myself because I had struggled with this for a long time, and that's creating a parallel life. And it's something I learned from the aforementioned Eric Maisel's book. And he talks about building a life outside of your work and creating an identity that doesn't include your workplace and your brand and your company. And whether that means, you know, getting involved with your community or, um, you know, family life or whatever other containers of meaning that you have, it's important to diversify your identity in that kind of way. So that way, if if one particular area, specifically if the business sucks, you have these other support systems and these other contexts as part of your, um, you know, your sort of fabric of life. As long as those are still doing okay, it sort of keeps you along when the business is is having tough times because it will. Mm-hmm. That's a big thing, parallel life. So um, I'm, I'm working on that myself. So I'll, you know, keep you posted on that. Um, third thing, try to do as much as you possibly can, as selfishly as you possibly can before you get married. I don't know how many people in your audience are married or have kids or not. Um, I'm married, but I don't have kids. So like I spent age 20 to age 33, because I just got married about a year ago, um, being as selfish as I possibly could. And I'm so glad I did it. I was completely just profoundly selfish for 12, however many years. And I'm really glad I did because I flushed it out of my system and I you know, satisfied all my ego and material needs and desires. And I got to a point where I was like, okay, I've, I've done enough to be okay with myself. Uh, it doesn't mean I'm not going to keep doing things, but you know, there was a shift a couple of years ago around the time when I, you know, when we got engaged and we got married and all that kind of stuff. And uh, I'm just so glad I did it that way. I, you know, there's a million reasons not to get married until you're a little bit older Um, one of them is, you know, just maturity. The other is, you know, you want to be able to date lots of people. But the other, the big thing is like, you want to get this stuff out of your system, man, because like, you know, once you get married an event, I imagine, you know, once we have kids, it's a different world and I know it is. So, um, boy, I'm glad I scratched all those itches early. Yeah. And I'll add to that. Just uh, having kids is, uh, it's, uh, it just compounds that tenfold. Right. (laughs) So definitely before you have kids, if you if you've missed the chance to to be a little selfish before you got married, yeah, talk to your spouse. Let them know that you got to yeah. do some stuff yeah. now uh, because you want to be there when you have kids, and you do want to be there when you have kids, and you do want to be there for your spouse. Yeah, right. Scott. Again, thanks so much for spending some time with us. What uh, I, I would like to invite my audience, if it's okay with you, to to shoot you a quick note specifically about something they're taking away from this interview that they can make actionable today. What, what are they going to pull out of this and change the way they work today? What's the best way for them to get a hold of you? I'll give you my email and then I'll, I'll give you the other way to find me. Uh, my email is really easy. It's scott at hello. My name is scott.com. Perfect. Scott at hello. My name is scott.com. That that's email. That's, that's, you know, the main line. Um, 
but I'm also, I'm all over the place and I use tons of different outlets uh, online. So just Google name tag and you'll find me. <laughs> Perfect. And I'll include that in the show notes here. So, uh, so it's easy for folks. Um, thank you so much. My pleasure. Thanks, Jason. Hey guys, thanks for hanging out to the very, very end. I mentioned during the interview with Scott that I'd tell you the story of how I became acquainted with Scott Ginsburg, uh, the name tag guy. Uh, back in 2008, I was working at a, a an executive recruiting firm, placing administrators in healthcare facilities. And I don't, I, I don't know if you remember 2008, but late that year there was a a small issue uh, in the market, the biggest recession we've seen in in most of our lifetimes, and I ended up without a job. Uh, first time I'd ever been without a job. I, very new to the world of business. Done, spent a, a, my first career in not-for-profits and as a counselor and social worker and therapist. And uh, this was a brand new world for me. And it was not a kind place to be, except for this one little blog written by the name tag guy. Uh, Hello, my name is Scott.com is where you'll find it now. Um, from there, you know, Scott Scott's uh, message really gave me the inspiration to uh, start a lot of what you're seeing now. Uh, I met some people here in St. Louis that uh, were very powerful in my journey um, to finding a new job, uh, finding a, a real love and a real passion for business-to-business sales, and finding a real love for giving back. Um, this go-giver mentality got started with Scott Ginsburg and his little blog. Um, go there, check it out. Thank you for joining me and, uh, and hanging out to the very end. Shoot me a note. Um, I'm at Jason R. Thomas on the Twitters and, uh, J T H O M A S one zero two seven at gmail.com. Go down to the bottom of the, the blog post here, uh, hardwaymba.wordpress.com. Leave a message. Uh, guarantee you'll hear back from me every time. I love it. Talk to you all soon. Take care. <laughs>